on the 28th of <coughs> This is about MLK. It's his day. But what you're failing to realize is that it all ties in together. You can't take the election as an isolated event. Things in history build upon one another. Without MLK, Rosa Parks, and people like Henry David Thoreau, there wouldn't be an election like this. Okay, so MLK was important to Obama. But Obama has nothing to do with MLK. MLK and then run? Does it sink like rotten meat or crust and sugar over like a syrupy sweet? Maybe it just sags like a heavy load. Or does it explode? The great Dr. Martin Luther King dreamt of racial justice, peace, and human brotherhood. He not only dreamed of such greatness, but bravely acted and inspired others to act on such goals through peaceful, nonviolence, and the face of hate-filled brutality. Dr. King spoke of his dream in 1963 at the Lincoln Memorial, as he witnessed brothers and sisters of every race, color, and religion marching in harmony toward a more unified tomorrow. Some 46 years later, we are witness to the culmination of Dr. King's dream in portions. Water fountains and restaurants no longer bear the humiliating words of whites only. Children of all races and colors have the legal right to attend America's public schools together. Our nation's people of all colors have the freedom to exercise their right to vote. Our country will proudly inaugurate the first interracial commander-in-chief tomorrow. However, the dream in its entirety has not yet been fulfilled. As Dr. King most powerfully stated, we are not and we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. Our country's waters are still tainted with poverty, inequality, racism, and bigotry. One of the ugliest fruits of this polluted water is that of racist extremist groups, which still thrive on American soil, and yes, even locally, Intimidation is the agenda of such groups, and fear is their desired outcome. On November 17, 1999, a young black man, Saisley Richardson, was walking home from a shopping center in Elkhart. Saisley was returning with diapers for a friend's baby when two teenage white males shot him in the head several times as part of an initiation into the skinhead organization, the Aryan Brotherhood. One of the shooters was also seeking a to earn a spider tattoo as a badge of honor for murdering a black person. Having hate crimes legislation in the state of Indiana would not only offer stricter criminal penalties for such heinous acts, but also serve as a deterrent for such racially motivated crimes. Indiana's lack of hate crime legislation serves an embarrassing symbol of apathy. Dr. King's dream of justice and righteousness are not yet fulfilled. We must rise to the challenge to protect our brothers and sisters of all races, colors, and religions. Such an act exemplifies true unification of humankind as we work toward Dr. King's dream. 
to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. Hello, my name is Adam Williams. I was born and raised in Shelby, Mississippi. Supposedly the most segregated, one of the most segregated and racist places in America. Until I moved to Indiana, I had never experienced any form of racism. One morning, at about 2.30, me and my family awoke to the smell of burning wood and the glow or a burning cross in the front of our Elkhart home. In 2001, my family lived in a small suburban neighborhood that became the destination of a white supremacist compound, self-declared to be their national headquarters. My children experienced a new level of hatred and racism that had been foreign to their innocent minds until that time. On countless occasions, my three children experienced the sounds of gunfire, the shouts of hate in the night, the sight of swastika flags, white hoods and robes, and the orange glow of large 20-foot burning crosses. These hunting images would be embedded in our children's memories for the rest of their life. Indiana is one of only four states lacking hate crimes legislation to protect my family and yours. I have a dream that these experiences will help my children create a more unified tomorrow. We cannot walk alone, and as we walk, we must make the pledge that we shall always march ahead. I have a dream that those who are targets of the extremist agenda never again have to walk through apathetic faces looking for help in their own community. I have a dream that no child will ever again have to fear monsters and white hoods shouting hatred in the night. And I have a dream that my children would always remain strong in their faith in God and never, ever fear those who upheld racism and hatred. With this faith, we will be able to move mountains of hatred and replace them with love. With this faith, we will transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, and to struggle together. I have a dream that my brothers and sisters across this great state of Indiana will unite to bring about change. Change toward the recognition that crimes motivated by biases against certain races, religions, sexual preferences are acted upon to inflict fear and intimidation amongst an entire group of people. Such crimes deserve attention from the judicial system above and beyond the normal course of investigation and punishment. We all have a responsibility. It's up to us, all of us, to make that change. And when that change happens, when we allow freedom to ring, and we let it ring from every village and every hamlet. From every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing the words of the old Negro spiritual. Free at last, free at last. 
Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. The Williams and Myers Ray family's testimonies of strength, encouragement, and endurance clearly show the incidents of racism and racial intoleration still occur today. Although Dr. King graced the Goshen College community with his presence less than 50 years ago, some people still have not received that message. It has been documented that the city of Goshen was known as a sundown time, which is defined as a community in the United States where non-whites were systematically excluded from living in or passing through after the sun went down. Or maybe some of you remember when the KKK actually enacted a demonstration here. And as a community, the city, the city of Goshen responded by creating the Diversity Day event. As you can see, we have come a long way, but we have to keep Dr. King's dream alive by actively working in the modern civil rights movement. Dr. Monica and the Indiana University South Bend Civil Rights Heritage Center is here to share how they are living out Dr. King's dreams. Good morning. I'm so happy to be here this morning. We thank God for the opportunity of coming to share with you all on this morning. And truly, the, the dream is alive on today. We want to recognize all of the leadership that are here, uh, MA, MAO and to all the others at Goshen College that are here. We can say God bless you. Really briefly, I wanted to share a summary of when Dr. King actually came to Goshen College on March 10th of 1960. He had received a request from some of the leadership here at this institution and Professor Guy Hirschberger had introduced Dr. King when he came, and he called him a maker of history. And Professor Hirschberger knew of such because he had studied with Dr. King in the South in many church meetings. And so that's the way he introduced him. When Dr. King came to the podium, he reminded the people of several different things, but two things that stick out in my mind that he told the people about. Number one, he had shared with the people that it's the Negro's aim to be the white man's brother. And I think that's very much important, and we can see that going on today. Amen? Number two, he shared the very much importance when he told the people it's very much important for us to come together and understand why we're here. And he even made mention to actions conducted by students. One month before he came to Goshen College, students in the South participated in sit-ins. And the police used their forces against the students, and Dr. King was very much disappointed at what he saw. And so he had hoped that the president and federal officials would be able to act in responding to that. So he brought that message with him to Goshen College and urged the students at Goshen College to participate as well. And over 50 years later, we have come here today as part of the Civil Rights Heritage Center to share with you what the students are doing at IU South Bend. I want to introduce Hugo Garcia, of Teatro of IUSB. Let's clap our hands for him. Hello, my name is Hugo Garza. Not Garcia. It's a mistake. But I'm president and one of the founders of Teatro, the expression arts talent rising organization at IU South Bend. One of our main goals is outreaching to the Latino community to teach them Chicano and African American civil rights history through the various performing arts. We act, we sing, we dance, and we write. With only one year since our establishment, we have had the honor to build alliances inside and outside our campus. One of our primary alliance is a Civil Rights Heritage Center. So, I advise you today, don't fall behind, take the stand, 
and express yourself. Thanks. Well, now I present to you Dr. Monica Tetzloff, a history professor and director of the Civil Rights Heritage Center at IU South Bend. Dr. T. Thank you, Ugo. And thank you to Goshen College for inviting us here today. We are all about building alliances and partnerships and we are very happy to participate in Community Solidarity Day, which you saw as the rally um, for the Williams family. We're also grateful to the Myers-Ray family, in particular to Stacy and her daughter Tiffany, who have been and who are members of the Civil Rights Heritage Center and who have started a branch at the Elkhart campus. I'm here to talk today a little bit about the center and also about awakening to King's Dream our theme for today. Our motto at the center is ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Now what does this have to do with Dr. King? Because if anyone was extraordinary in the movement, it was him. He had wonderful gifts of oratory. He was a prophet. He had tremendous courage. He knew his life was in danger and indeed he gave his life. Yet we at the center know, through the study of history, that his dream would never have come to fruition, even in part, if people who were ordinary on the outside, but extraordinarily strong together on the inside, hadn't organized, sacrificed, sat through boring meetings, and yes, put their bodies on the line in Selma, in Mississippi, and also in the North. The Civil Rights Heritage Center was started by students who went on a tour of civil rights sites in the year 2000, and that tour was led by Dr. Les Lehman. I began volunteering at the center, which was started by those students, a few years after they got going. What they wanted to do was bring the message that they had learned, the message of nonviolent direct action and the power that it can still have today to our community. They started an oral history project and have recorded interviews, over 90 of them, with African-American, Latino, and white residents who are part of our local civil rights struggle, working with migrant workers, um, opening up the natatorium, which was a segregated swimming pool in South Bend and many other actions to open up neighborhoods, to make better jobs available to everyone. These were important actions and often frustrating, often behind the scenes and not covered by the media at that time. But we're uncovering them and we're passing that message on to young people today. Another student in the center was a young mother and she wanted to bring more diversity to her children's school. So she started the diversity reading program. And even as we speak today, students are preparing to read to children on Martin Luther King Day, the day they get off, uh, at the Sensory Center in South Bend, reading books about Cesar Chavez, reading books about Rosa Parks' bus, and more. And engaging those children in dialogue, answering questions, asking questions. Some of the members of the center that you've seen here today, Lawrence Guyton, 
he also had a dream of a program really bringing back the connection between civil rights activism and the church and our message for today and also bringing together people of different races of faith. For four years, he has put together a church in the movement program at different churches, inviting Catholics and Protestants, black and white and Latino, people of faith to discuss what is the church's role today, celebrating our past victories through the civil rights movement, but also looking at issues today. But Lawrence wasn't satisfied with that. He decided we also needed to go to the high schools and not just to the elementary schools where we were reading to children. So now we have started a program where we teach civil rights history to freshmen in high school and on up. Um, another member that you uh, heard speak today was Ugo. He has been a member of the Leadership Academy, another project of the center where high school and college students come together in the summer to study civil rights. He has been one of the most enthusiastic peer mentors, bringing the arts, particularly acting, to students and keeping them enthused and helping them to see that their extraordinary talents lie within. So King's message of social justice, we hope, lives on through these efforts, and we seek to continue to work with you on them. I'm going to turn now to my role as a historian and revive a speech that is not as often heard um, that Dr. King gave in 1968. This is actually a sermon, so I think it's appropriate that we're in a church today. And uh, I'm a member of the Society of Friends, as well as being a history professor. So occasionally, I give spoken ministry in our meetings. So I'm very honored to quote from Dr. King and also to summarize him because we only have a few minutes left. Um, he gave this sermon uh, in 1968 when there were demonstrations all over the country. It was a little bit different than 1960 when Goshen College was quite early in hosting him and in supporting the movement in those early sit-in days. By 1968, there had been violence and there had also been literal revolutions around the world. And his speech was staying awake through a great revolution. And the text that he preached from is very fitting for today as we stand on the eve of a peaceful revolution in our country. Our elections are peaceful revolutions, transitions of power, and that's something to celebrate. The mobilization of people in this past campaign is something we can celebrate whatever side we are on, that we make these transitions peacefully. Here's what King read from the Bible, from Revelations. Behold, I will make all things new. Former things are passed away. Having said that, King looked at the world in 1968, and he saw many of the same things we have today. So I'm going to give you the three challenges he gave folks then and see if we can't apply them to our lives today. His first challenge was to have a global perspective. How often do we hear that today? This is another piece of evidence that he spoke prophetically. 
What did he mean by a global perspective? Well, even in 1968, jet airplanes and space travel were making the world seem smaller. So he said, the world in which we live is geographically one. The challenge that we face today is to make it one in terms of brotherhood. And I think today he would add sisterhood, too. The second of King's challenges is huge, but I'm going to state it very simply. It's eradicating the last vestiges of racism and poverty from our nation and then from all nations. The third seems even more daunting, but we have faith that this is our call. It's to find an alternative to war and bloodshed, to teach others the message that King taught that change can come nonviolently and that we need to think creatively today about how to do that. If one of these challenges speaks to you, I urge you, if you pray, to pray about it and to listen to what others have to say and to maybe find others to join you or to join something that's already going on that addresses one of these challenges. Our next speaker is going to lead you in a song, and that's a symbolic way of joining in. We enjoy singing. It's a joyful noise of praise. But it's also a call to do what King says, and for us all, as ordinary people, to reach out and become extraordinary together. And in this way, we will awaken King's dream. Thank you. And David James will lead us now. He was a singer in the 1960s um, in the civil rights movement uh, when he was a graduate, or excuse me, a student at Notre Dame. He actually was a draft counselor here at Goshen College during the Vietnam War. And now he's become a student again. He's in the master's program at IU South Bend, and he went south. And some of the pictures that you'll see in his slideshow are from the civil rights leaders that we continue to visit and meet. David. Thanks. Uh, the, the, when people sang in those days, one of the things that you've got to understand about singing and the singing movement, which is what the civil rights movement was, was that those people were generally scared to death. And I can perfectly understand the way they were, because a couple of times before some demonstrations in South Bend, Indiana, we had to sing because we were scared to death. And some of us got beat up, and some of us got thrown in jail. So when we sang, it wasn't just to be pretty, it was to keep our courage going. And it may not be today that you're going to go out on the street and get clubbed on the head by some racist bigot or by some policeman or other agent of uh, an oppressive state, but you might have to need the courage to get up and say something which is not dreadfully popular, like end the war in the Middle East, or end the war in Afghanistan, 
or let that person move into your neighborhood. And you might need a little bit of courage to do it. And so you might need a little bit of a song to go with it. This is a song from 1952. And uh, if you've got the new disc, you can roll that disc, because uh, we're going to sing this song. I'm going to sing the first line, and then you come in with the second line, and then we'll sing the chorus together. It goes like this. One man's hands can break a prison down. And you sing two men's hands. Two men's hands can break a prison down. Now, that little bunch of singers that was here can, is singing louder than all y'all. All right, if God gave you a good voice, sing loud and rejoice. And if God gave you a bad one, Sing even louder and pay him back. All right, try it again. One man's hands can't break a prison down. And you sing two men's hands. Two men's hands can't break a prison down. But if two and two, but if two and two and fifty make a million, we'll see that day come round. One woman's hands can't make the union strong. Two women's hands can't make the union strong. But if two and two, but if two and two and fifty make a million, we'll see that day come round. We'll see that day come round. One child's strength can't break the color bar. Two children's strength can't break the color bar. But if two and two and fifty make a million, we'll see that day come round. We'll see that day come round. Play it, David.
expect Obama to fix them. We have to continue the dream. That's right. And it's not just about him being black. It's about what he stands for. It's change, opportunity, the American dream, and hope. Yeah, there's still work to be done. If you don't believe me, go on YouTube and find an Obama video. Look at the comments. There are a lot of angry people out there. One of my favorite comments that MLK left, it says, change does not roll in on the wheels of inevitability, but comes through continuous struggle. We must strengthen our backs and work for our freedom. A man can't ride unless their back is bent. And that is MLK. That was deep. <laughs> I'm glad you understand it. Obama's cool and all, but he isn't the culmination of a dream. He's simply one more step towards a journey that started centuries late. In other words, we still have a long walk ahead. Dr. King paid for his beliefs with his life. His blood, sweat, and tears got us to where we are today. But we still have a very long way to go. Dr. King also said, life's most important and urgent question is, what will we do for others? <laughs> Don't let the dream get deferred. Take a few more steps in the journey. I have a dream. Yes, you can. Yes, we can. We shall overcome one day. Some may feel we have overcome, but we challenge you on this day to think about what you can do to manifest the dream. At this time, I'm going to ask Dr. Monica Tetzlaff to come forward, and you may have some questions dealing with the historical context of the I Have a Dream speech or the Civil Rights Movement. She is an expert in this area. We will also have conversation immediately following the convocation in the fellowship hall. But we do understand that some of you all may not be able to join us. So if you have an immediate question, we ask for you to please stand and you may ask at that time, at this time. Thank you. I think this is great because the civil rights movement was all about dialogue and not just about speakers. So, um, and I'm a Quaker, so I can wait here in silence for a long time. <laughs> so if you need some time to think, that's okay. Go ahead. I think that's Ellen.
Thank you, Ellen. And I'd like to speak to that. Um, I'd like to start first uh, by, by acknowledging also that, that King um, looked for criticism in his movement. He actually uh, assembled people around him, and of course, one of his advisors was Rabbi Abraham Heschel, who was a great inspiration, um, probably as important as Gandhi and, and some others in, um, in inspiring him. And so that's part of peacemaking, is, is listening and then considering um, how best to act. So I very much take, take the comment to heart. Um, I also want to add now a little bit more historical perspective, bringing it home to South Bend and the involvement of the Jewish community in this civil rights movement. I've been privileged to become friends with Mrs. Ruth Tolchinsky, whose husband, Maurice Tolchinsky, was part of the integration of the natatorium. If you don't know already, um, in 1922, South Bend completed an indoor swimming pool known as the Engman Natatorium, and the words public were on top because public taxpayer dollars had funded it, and it was open to the public, but it didn't say that that was just the white public. Blacks were completely excluded. And so, beginning in 1919, there was an NAACP in South Bend, and during the 20s and 30s, they organized to try to protest. More and more educated leaders, attorneys, and doctors, um, as well as what we might say were ordinary people, laborers, domestic workers, um, started to sign petitions. But the Jewish community wasn't just blacks in the, in the Baptist churches and others who were organizing through the NAACP. It was also Jewish people who had felt discrimination because of their religion, who were excluded from country clubs just like blacks were, and from important um, other areas such as places to live, restrictive covenants. Um, uh, there, I don't know all of the history. I wish I were more of an expert. I spend some of my time researching it, but I can tell you the story of what happened uh, in the 1940s. Uh, Ruth Tolchinsky, I'll tell a little bit of her story as well. She fled persecution from the Nazis. Uh, her family was in danger in Germany. They were one of the very few who were able to get out because her father was a physician. He had a sponsor in the United States, and his services were needed here. Um, very, very few were able to escape the Holocaust that way, and she and her family were lucky, and on the other hand, they weren't because they still lost many family members there. She married Maurice Tolchinsky, her name was Ruth Backrock before then, and they started a family in South Bend, and she was a nurse here in South Bend and then a stay-at-home mom for a while. And he was a young attorney. They were very interested in civil liberties and civil rights, very important for them to stand up for those. And Maurice Tolchinsky was friends with J. Chester Allen, known to him as Chet Allen, an African-American lawyer. And here I also want to throw in some more women's history. J. Chester Allen practiced with his wife, Elizabeth Fletcher Allen. They had met in law school and come here from Boston, and uh, she was also the first woman attorney in St. Joseph County, as far as I know. So anyway, they got together with a few other attorneys and 
Um, I believe Mr. Tolchinsky was the only white person there, and he got a lot of flack when they went before the park board. This was the final time. I told you they started organizing in the 20s. This was in 1950. And one of many, many repeated efforts to integrate the facility, and it finally worked. Um, and uh, so, so the, Tolchinsky and Allen were part of that victory. And I've just completed a display for the Studebaker Museum. You can see the story of the natatorium in a small display there at the beginning. And in the fall of 2009, I hope you can all visit the Engman Natatorium, which is being transformed into a civil rights heritage center. We will continue to be on the campus as a student organization, but we will have an outreach to the public at 1044 West Washington Street in South Bend. Um, and we invite you to come and see the small museum we'll set up there, and more importantly, also a place for dialogue, a place to talk about human rights, and a place um, to continue the movement today. So I know that's a long answer to your question, but I uh, really appreciate the, the thoughts that um, come with it. Other questions? Go ahead. Uh, this concludes our conversation. Uh, the Dr. Martin Luther King Committee would like to thank everyone for coming here, and, um, as well as the Voice in Harmony Gospel Choir, the Myers Ray and Williams family, and Dr. Monica Tesla for coming here today. Tetzlaff, sorry. And the IU at South Bend Civil Rights Heritage Center. Um, in the fellowship hall, immediately following this presentation, there will be coffee and a town hall meeting. There will be a, a mime group that will also be performing there. Um, we encourage you to take advantage of all the various service opportunities available in the community, and yeah, thank you again for coming today.